Welcome to another episode of the Enterprise Thought Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bond, founder of techpros.io. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Issa Goksu, the CTO for Globant in the UK, Ireland and Germany. Globant is known for its leadership in utilising AI to enhance enterprise productivity. They employ 30,000 staff globally and operate a specialised division, Globant X, which focuses on developing customizable AI products. They have deep expertise in the media and entertainment sector, working with a wide range of brands such as Paramount, FIFA, NBC Universal, Warner Brothers Discovery, QVC, NFL, Netflix, and the list goes on. My interview with Issa follows a recent techpros.io challenge forum roundtable event Globant sponsored in London titled From Vision to Execution, Charting the AI Roadmap in Media and Entertainment. Also at this event were two senior executives from BBC Studios and ITV who later shared their thoughts with Issa on the challenge we discussed on the day. And this was leveraging AI to unlock creative potential in media with a focus on accelerating production in an increasingly competitive landscape. In this episode, we examine how AI assists with content structuring, licensing, and knowledge graphs. And we explore how AI can liberate human creativity, enabling teams to concentrate on higher value tasks and enhance overall productivity. Issa shares insights on evaluating AI solutions and Globant's strategic approach to navigating companies through their AI journeys, striking a careful balance between ambition and caution. This episode and the next one are must-listens for anyone responsible for leading AI strategies and implementations within the media and entertainment sectors. Thank you for having me. So my name is Issa. I'm the CTO for Globant's UK, Ireland and German operations. I've been in Globant a little over a year, probably coming close to second year. I have probably around 25 years of experience in the field. 16 years of it is mostly AI and machine learning related activities. I was doing a lot of algorithmic trading in the past. So my role in Globant has three folds. The first is obviously being the face and technical face for our uh, partners. Uh, so all our key and strategic clients and partners that we have I make sure that we are you know, having an ongoing relationship, helpful relationship, and I listen to their problems and try to help them solve those problems. Second part of my role is involving with community, where Globant in the UK is not very well known in terms of brand, mm-hmm. whereas the company has over 30,000 people across the globe and doing massive impact in so many different fronts. I think it's more around thought leadership in the community and making sure that our brand as a tech organization is heard as well. So that's second part of my responsibility. And the third is more operational and commercial, making sure that all the uh, strategic projects that we have is going uh, properly, all successful. There's no issue on delivering them and making sure that we are uh, solving clients' problems, basically. Let's just get an initial kind of flavor from you then. So the topic is leveraging AI to unlock creative potential in media. So Issa, you were at the event. Perhaps you could just give your high level sort of synopsis overview of, of the challenge we, we discussed and some of your initial initial thoughts. Yeah, I guess like the, the key aspect is like uh, there's a bunch of people, obviously some key important uh, people on the event where they were trying to understand how AI can be leveraged in their ecosystem. Part of it was the media production and part of it is around the knowledge graphs and part of it is around the licensing and 
also, I guess, content structuring and accessibility of the content. When you double click on all of these things, there were many, many sub items. And as you can imagine, like these processes are containing a lot of human efforts and it's mostly mechanical and a lot of time constraints for the same resource. So there is pretty much in every case that we discussed, there was a overall theme around capacity issues because human can only do so much like if you ask them to work 12 hours they work but you know you ask the same person to do like help on the legal aspect help on the licensing aspect help on the content curation aspect all of the i guess guest speakers were trying to give the perspective around how they are implementing it how they are leveraging particularly ai and their data strategy and one thing was very obvious i would say is the organizations, the media corporations are still going through a phase of puberty, I would say, in terms of technology adoption. They are using technology, don't get me wrong, they are definitely using technology for their day-to-day operations, but it's mostly on a support role rather than key enabler role. And all the basically leaders on the event, they were trying to kind of like position technology as a key business enabler. So yeah, that's kind of like a two cents of like a general Overview. Excellent. And just for our listeners, perhaps you could just, particularly our media and entertainment professionals listening to this, it's like, I mean, Globant's got pr- a pretty sort of robust and strong DNA in sort of AI transformation w- within the industry. Could you just talk to us a, a little bit at a high level briefly what Globant's doing within the industry? I guess like within AI space, we've been quite active for the last eight to 10 years. Globant was trying to modernize its own internal processes by leveraging AI. So, I mean, our even interview processes or candidate selections are leveraged upon AI. So there's like an automatic match to job description versus profile so that you have a filtered list of candidates immediately. From mm-hmm. that all the way to your our performance views, how people are being giving feedback to each other. So we are leveraging generative content on that. So all these things are happening already. And on top of that, we realized that many of our customers are struggling the same kind of pattern and problems. And then they have only slight variations. So what we decided to do is we created an arm in our own business called Globant X, where we started building products that are waiting to be customized slightly so that they can improve the productivity of the clients. First, I'll give an example. So testing is, is one of the activities that we do in software development every day. We obviously improved by adapting automated testing, but still someone needs to write those automated tests. Someone needs to come up with that. So what we, our take was actually leveraging generative AI to come up with a tool that automatically writes these tests for you. So the overall productivity was boosting almost 600 times. There are many tools like this that we created, and um, we're allowing our customers to leverage and build a productivity boost in their uh, kind of day-to-day delivery streams. Apart from that, I guess if you double click into, I guess, like industries, it's obviously all the industries are trying to adopt AI right now. And particularly with the generative revolution, there's a whole content creation, there's whole like, I guess, like report creation, like email creation, blog post creation. So there's tons of like image creation, video creation, voice creation, and all these things are based in generative content. And people are seeing the opportunity, but they are not 100% sure how they can get the full benefit. I would say the role that we're trying to play right now is trying to take it with a pace with our customers because uh, often they're just jumping on the wagon. That's all fine, but there are a lot of security problems that you're, you you will walk into if you just randomly uh, like integrate with OpenAI's API, for instance, and expose a chatbot interface. Well, you are not just exposing that to your customer, you're exposing that to all the you know malicious actors as well. 
and they can abuse these systems massively. Or another part that we're trying to help them understand is commercial side of the AI integration. So there is a cost element that most people don't realize right now. So like everything is being charged per token, and these things could get quite costly at the end of the year if you keep continuing the adoption of AI and all these streams that you have in your business. We are trying to like help them understand like all these different implications and how best that they can actually solve these problems because sometimes you don't need to use open AI. Sometimes you could have a local large language model that you can deploy and fine tune it for your own, I guess, uh, case. And that would give the uh, like, you know, same, if not better performance. So I guess like just giving those kind of lenses in this very proliferated market right now with everyone is claiming they're the best in AI, I think is eye-opening for our customers. Is there any other kind of use cases in media and entertainment that you can share with us that you've been personally involved in that might be interesting for our listeners? So I guess in, uh, like there is a case, for instance, where we help one of the, the media partners to allow them during their content creation to, to do like uh, voice dubbing, if that makes sense. So like, so you write the text and then it will just create the, the voice in the same tone that, that the original speaker has. So you can edit the, like these kind of podcasts or interviews later on. You don't have the, the guest again. You can just, with the right permissions, obviously, you can just like erase a certain word and fix it and then tidy up an interview in a very professional I think there was also like an audio improvement on that. So like the audio enhancements, if you have, let's say, semi ideal settings uh, during the, the, the podcast due to sicknesses, due to many other, you know, like uh, things, you can actually turn that into something very professional still. There is another one where we are building language translation activity. So this is one of the company that provides that provides insights about the, the content or the, the media product. And then they, they conduct surveys post uh, this active. So what we do is we help them to like create the very same survey in multiple languages by keeping the domain information in it. So this is an automated thing. So like uh, rather than them spending and working with you know a bunch of different translators, like whether they are Spanish, because Spanish is not just one thing. There are many dialects of it. So the Spanish in Argentina versus the Spain versus like other places. So it's just all these like nuances. And then people tend to react better if they see their own kind of like, we help that dialect to be uh, kept and retain the content information. So that's another one that we can probably name. Athena Witter is an award-winning digital content leader and marketing strategist with over 20 years driving business growth through smart content. As Vice President of Digital Content and Programming at BBC Studios, Athena sets the vision and strategy for BBC Studios' digital content across platforms from TV through to social. With extensive expertise maximising IP potential and diversifying revenue streams, Athena excels at audience engagement, branded content, marketing innovation and leading high-performing teams. We discussed about like various different kind of like problem statements. Some of them were hypothetical. But when we were chatting, you mentioned that you needed to collaborate more with the tech teams, uh, what strategies kind of like you're looking to deploy. So I, can you just kind of like a double click on that and say like, I guess, to scale the media production. So yeah, what are the of things course. that uh, you, you want to do? Yeah, we presented um, or I presented sort of the challenge around how do we really boost our creative capabilities in production mm -hmm. and digital for digital and social media. And it's been at the heart of everything that the wider teams have been sort of looking at, even across the business. So although we sit in the digital division, 
the business on a whole is really looking at what AI can do um, as part of the wider remit and capabilities. But the challenge that I sort of set around the discussion group was very much coming from a creative you know, production capability and how can we do that at speed? We are in a huge business and lots of competitor sets where we absolutely need to have a look at how we are serving content quickly, efficiently, but also retaining our credibility on the creative. And we've got a fabulous team that are absolutely experts in their field across understanding the knowledge of every format that we produce. But the, the key thing for us was very much like, but what enablers can we provide really brilliant, smart, talented teams to be able to do their job smartly and quickly and efficiently? Um, and AI is being one of those sort of areas of focus mm-hmm. to see what can we do to integrate that within our particular workflow of the business? And yes, I mm-hmm. sort of mentioned about how do we join up uh, a little bit more collaborative around the business? It's a big organization, yeah. lots of yeah, work. I can imagine, yeah. <laughs> Um, lots of agendas and but everyone actually in terms of AI is absolutely coming together it's definitely much more about how do we align what our requirements are in each of the division to make that work and in terms of the collaboration with the tech teams like do you have like I mean because uh, based on I guess like our conversation so you you also mentioned like you needed to improve the collaboration so is there any strategy that you're planning to kind of like make it happen yeah, we are actually. We've actually started quite a few of those work streams already. So within our digital vision, we have a product team, but also within our product team, they work closely with our tech uh, division. Um, and actually recently within the change of sort of focus of what does technology provide us as a business, there's also been sort of um, quite a lot of new brilliant hires around um, AI and sort of working with suppliers and partners. So we're actually joined together quite early days on an initial work stream group and that's definitely coming together over time. I remember you saying there's an immediate action you got to do around optimizing the data flows. Is there yeah. any kind of like metrics or data points that uh, maybe like you want to prioritize initially and maybe how they can be leveraged? Like do you have any comments on that? Yeah, we do. And I think it would be probably good for me to sort of um, explain some of the bits that we've started to do already, but then also the plan of where we're trying to get in terms of our data points. So we know that there's a natural nervousness sometimes in employing new technology into a very traditional way of working from a, a broadcast perspective on content. But what we are, we've seen sort of small little tests that the teams have been doing in other parts of the business, particularly around sort of closed LLMs. So AI that mimic obviously Mm -hmm. the intelligence. And we've been doing that and testing on some of our formats. Um, But it's very internal as a test. It's not publicly Mm -hmm. available. Mm -hmm. And what we're trying to look to do at the first instance is looking at our own proprietary content that allows us to learn, you know, allow uh, us to understand what the machine is doing, learning from the content that we have, but really looking, mm-hmm. doing that with our archive as sort of a phase one, which is something that we're as a team are going to get a little bit closer to from our requirements. But the specific data points that we've been looking at personally for us to achieve our goals is that we really need to have the capabilities of having intelligent tagging and suggested tools. Mm-hmm. To sort of understand where we're going is that we deliver high volumes of video production across platforms like YouTube, 
Facebook, and obviously our um, sort of more vertical video platforms like TikTok, Snap. And mm-hmm. as you can imagine, for any video uh, editing team or producer, you're having to make multiple versions of everything. Not only yeah, that, yeah. adapting content to serve its audience. And that requires data points that allow us to make better decisions on our edit. So we had, so if I was looking at sort of two to three data points, which we've been discussing, it's very much about finding the right sort of uh, machine learning tools to analyze successful content, probably more upstream than doing retrospectively mm-hmm. or in a gut mm-hmm. feeling we've all been working to from the beginning yeah. of time. And then looking at data retrospectively, um, ideally you want to like shift the way in which um, sort of live data is provided and be able to be a little bit more reactive where possible. But also it's about discovery. So um, we are in a competitive set market. We have competitors uh, are you know uh, you know across the internet. It is huge. Audience consumption is massive. We are playing in a very competitive market. So we've been looking at ways. And actually, what's been brilliant is that the the round table we had really uh, echoed. And actually, it means that we are going in the right direction. Yeah. Uh, looking at things like taxonomy to apply richer data to content mm-hmm. when it's published. Um, and actually, we've been doing, and we did start a project which we're starting to flesh out a little bit about localization. So if we're mm-hmm. going back to three points, it's data to drive better suggested content edits, mm-hmm. live content matrix for better uh, taxonomy and data. And then the third one is about not necessarily a data point in, you know, particularly, but it is about how do we roll out localization across our key brands that we know we have massive audiences in those markets or we have distribution deals in those markets. We've been looking at ways to potentially use sort of an AI generative solution around um, MLA. So looking at the ability to do it that way. Because mm-hmm. what we have been looking at is, do you take one IP and do audio localization so it's a bit more smarter? Or do you build new channels in other key markets? That is a trade-off, really, and that will depend on where we get to with integrating generative AI. So mm-hmm. it's very early, but those are probably one of the key measurements yeah. that we love to sort of try and really implement in our deployment moving forward and so that we, we're definitely still on the early trajectory and I'm sure uh, lots more smart people that I work with across the business will be able to get into the detail of the data that's needed to be able mm-hmm. to achieve the goals that we have from a creative and a publishing perspective. No, this is really great. Um, I'm, I'm glad that you actually mentioned like AI, particularly generative AI, LLMs, like you're exploring. I guess, is this the way to solve the problem, I guess, in your industry? How do you see that? And what kind of criteria would you recommend the audience to evaluate potential solutions? How should it be deployed in stages and balance the speed and then thoughtfulness, all this kind of thing, basically? Yeah. Do you have any? No, it's a really, really great question because I think there's this um, speed and excitement about the possibilities of what it, the capabilities, what it could do to an organization. But we do have a duty of care for our brands and our wider mm-hmm. audience. And BBC Studios, we pride ourselves very much about trust and authenticity. And we have, we probably arguably have one of the biggest um, sort of content uh, portfolios and libraries probably in the world. Mm-hmm. And with that is massive. It's a massive opportunity, but also is 
lots of sort of stepping stones to get to a place where you could comfortably say you're rolling out something that has a great impact from both an operational perspective, but also for a revenue conversion perspective. I personally think that definitely there's an urgency to understand it better. The deployment of it, I think, has to be in stages. Um, We will have to go through the way that we safeguard our IP. And interestingly, when I was sort of mentioning earlier, there's been sort of small internal tests about how do we train it ourselves to Mm -hmm. protect ourselves from a privacy point of view. Um, So I think there definitely needs to be stepping stones. Um, Personally, when we were looking at it in our division, um, we were saying, actually, what are our key markets where we know is going to drive that revenue? And what Mm -hmm. are brands we can sort of start with that are perhaps less complicated? So it was really interesting. I was talking to someone um, not so long ago about the localization issues that might occur from integrating it in certain key markets and some markets and some formats are not necessarily able to be there yet. So I'll give an example of that Mm -hmm. is we have a massive comedy slate, but our comedy, if you think about the British language and the comedy references to interpret that into another language, it's probably hard at the best of time as a UK audience understanding some of the funny sort of references. Yeah, exactly. So so to that point, we know that actually you wouldn't necessarily go and start in that because the capabilities may not be quite there yet. But if we look at like our brands like BBC Earth that has slightly less narration, it's more beautiful, amazing picture and, and artistry. But we do have obviously hard nailed documentaries and um, sort of science uh, sort of content that we sort of uh, publish across our network. That has to be right. Like, you know, we have a duty of care for it to be right. So I think, you know, what was really amazing from the experience of talking to others in the industry is that, you know, the advice that was provided and actually sort of really made sense for, for what we're doing is start small and build. And your yeah. rec- recommendation as well, you know, in that discussion was absolutely about that. Um, and we have to anyway. We've got such a responsibility um, in terms of the portfolio yeah. that we look after that actually navigating through protecting IP, our talent, and also in understanding the capabilities. I do think what's quite difficult, though, there are so many tools out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there are yeah. lots of solutions, but then don't all do everything. So I think that's probably going to be an industry-wide question, and maybe you have the solution, Global Net, but but that's probably an industry-wide question about which one will serve its purpose for the needs of a media or TV organisation. And from purely talking that I can talk to from a digital and social media point of view, it has to be right. We're publishing mm-hmm. it to audiences globally. It's not like you're in a closed environment in TV world, although that has high standards, of course. But as soon as you publish something out on a digital platform, you have to add in an additional layer of clearances yeah. and attention to detail because it yeah. is going out to such so many audiences. Athena discussed leveraging AI to boost creative capabilities for digital social media content. She recommended integrating AI into workflows to aid efficiency and customization while protecting creative integrity. 
Key suggestions from Athena included staged AI deployment with internal yeah. testing and assessing solutions based on business needs, productivity impact, and content quality improvement. She also stressed considering privacy and IP issues when implementing AI creativity enhancements. So the first question for uh, you, Issa, is what data points and metrics are most important to focus on first for content customization across platforms like YouTube, Facebook, and TikTok? What criteria should be used to evaluate potential AI solutions and properly staged deployment? So I'll try to give like a few aspects. So from the metrics point of view, I guess like it's very typical in a like a social media that you tend to look at like demographic information because that will allow you to kind of understand your uh, viewers. Like this is age, gender, location, I don't know, education level, socioeconomic status, etc. But then you try to understand your viewers' interests and behaviors as well. And the metrics I would think of is like the things around the likes and I guess like the shared posts and comments and whether they follow the channel or not, or what was the previous to watch videos and, and the streams around that. So the history information. And if you think of another facet of the, the social media, uh, I guess, importance in this particular context is the engagement metrics. But things like there's a subscriber growth and average watch time, video completion rate, uh, click-through rates, etc. And then uh, like based on the channel that you're providing is if there is a particular action that you want them to follow, obviously conversion metrics comes into picture. Things like, you know, like the typical conversion rate, cost per conversion, and then the number of leads and sales that you do through that. And then finally, probably the impressions. So things like, you know, how viral the content is and what's the outreach of the content and, and the total impressions, I guess. Giving this perspective, so I guess like uh, the audience demo demographic is going to play a key role because if your users are from, say, Latin America and they are, I don't know, early 20s and the, the viewer is, is a female, then your content needs to be more maybe energetic, more like emotional, et cetera, et cetera. So you, you need to really like choose and pick this content really nicely. Or at least the, the storyline needs to match that. So like there is a whole media production based on these metrics that you can follow in the next episodes. I think uh, we all know how Netflix is producing their uh, original movies, Netflix original, same Amazon does the same. And, and uh, I think Apple does the same. Apple original movies. So that what they do is like based on these key metrics, they're actually creating a plot. And based on that plot, they are funding that to create that movie or that TV show. And mm -hmm. there's more kind of like, you know, self-promoting uh, content pretty much. And then when you think of, I guess, the AI solution to help you with all this thing, I guess... Number one attribute I can think of, I guess, is, is the accuracy and, and relevance. So how accurate is your solution? Because if your solution is labeling the content wrong or interpreting the, the, the um, say, demographic values wrong, then obviously it will mislead you to produce wrong content. Another aspect, I guess, is the integration part. Because like, as we mentioned in the beginning, like these media productions, they have so many steps and so many mechanical tasks in it and you know, currently humans are doing these tasks and some of them could be replaceable with automation some of them are not so and there are so many different vendor products 
are in place, right? So like mm-hmm. there is like a video editing tools that they use. There is like a satellite tools they use, et cetera, et cetera. So so many different technologies. So I guess the integration and ease of integration is going to be a key asset for a proper AI solution. So we need to really look at it from this angle. I guess another one in, in the media particularly is a like the, the privacy and the access of the content because some content because of the license restrictions cannot be accessed within certain region or certain by certain people so you need to make sure that your ai is respecting these rules and regulations that you have or license restrictions that you have and obviously the maintenance of it so like if you want to grow the tool and you know train or fine-tune your systems like going forward it has to have the ability to do this fast if you're gonna if your fine-tuning is gonna take a month you're out of business for a month almost. Like So these are kind of the high-level points, I guess, that comes to mind. Any other comments that you might like to share around tool selection or large language model? There is a, like a common problem in the industry, not just specific to AI, but is whether you buy or build or create some form of a hybrid solution. So this is very much kind of like the, the general problem in a, a, any particular subsegment of uh, technology, whether it's AI or not. Our general kind of recommendation, like, I mean, it's, it's really uh, difficult to give one prescription for all, but general recommendation, I would say, is like, A, look at whether this is your competitive advantage or not whatever you're kind of embarking. So if it is a competitive advantage, don't buy it because whatever you're going to integrate is going to be that vendor's selection. Hence, it will be used with your competitors as well. So don't give away your competitive advantage. So please make sure if it is customer touch points, if it is what makes it unique, if it is your intellectual property, those parts definitely build. Don't buy or integrate anything in there. But if it is something like commodity, I guess a good example is like, say, it's a payroll system. Like don't build payroll system. Just buy a payroll mm-hmm. system. There's so many complications. Mm-hmm. And it's a solved problem in the industry. And there's no competitive advantage there. If you do your payroll system two times better than the other, it won't give you more commercial benefit uh, in the market. So I guess like differentiating these aspects will kind of lead you like how you can select a tool. But then again, there is also like these hype times, like a few years ago, it was blockchain, the hype, and then there were so many tools around it uh, and uh, like the networks and the platforms and then uh, and then all the ICO things happen. And then many tools have been going through rough times, let's say, and then the people depending on those tools struggle. And when you look at like, how people implemented those technologies internally, if they ha- haven't purchased the license of another tool, they tried to build themselves, then you saw those projects didn't lead anywhere. Just because there are like proliferated number of tools around content creation doesn't mean you should use one of those. So it really, I guess the key message is look at your use case really well, define that. And if it is not a competitive advantage, yeah, just integrate yeah. and buy problem solvers, let's say, for that particular problem. Don't buy the Titanic, buy a, yeah. I guess, small speedboat if that's what you need. Just a quick question around the foundational models. Obviously, Gemini is coming out. We've got Anthropic, we've OpenAI. There are, there are others as well. Do you have anything you can share with our listeners around where to start? Because uh, there's the same, so much choice. They've all got their kind of pros and cons. Let's start with Google. Gemini or Bard or whatever. Like, I mean, Google claims they are the best in AI in many fronts. But we saw multiple times by now, last year, that Google failed in this race. And they either raised something that is immature and they, they raced up to the market and which resulted really terrible feedbacks. 
We are seeing this with Gemini as well. I mean, it's a few days after launch, Google's own employees said like the demos were actually staged, but the product was not ready. So there, there's definitely a race going on. So like beware of that. So yes, Google can be really good on certain parts, but don't presume just because it's a fancy name and Gemini and it's an, you know, sentient being, et cetera, like don't follow the buzz, I guess. In terms of, I guess, the, if you have a commercial use case, which as a business you will have, I think you need to eliminate all the non-commercial uh, things like anything with a non-Apache or MIT license or BST license. You can't use them. So technically, I mean, whether they are performing better than the others is just useless for you. So for that, I guess, please check the license of the foundational model that you're planning to use. Currently, Llama 2 from Meta is commercially viable and up until certain millions of dollars that you're going to be generating revenue, there's no commercial hit that you're going to get. And if, if you're doing that, you can talk to Meta so that they will give you a license around that. So OpenAI is the easiest one to integrate. They are the first one in the market with an API model, but it is costly. So people need to be really conscious of that. So if you start using, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of tokens per day, I mean, your bill at the end of that month is going to uh, be uh, eye-opening, let's say. And the last but not least, there are now more open source models with MIT, Apache, or BSD license. So you can see, I think Mistral is one of the fastest inference ones right now. Mistral 7B, you can locally deploy. It supports English right now. And then they just released, I think two days ago, a multimodal version of it. Uh, and it supports five different languages, including um, English, French, German, Spanish, and one other. So that means technically you don't need OpenAI, you don't need Meta, you don't. Need, you can actually take that and then locally deploy. It is five times faster inference to the closest one, and it is beating GPT three point five in five out of six benchmark tools. So what that means is basically, in a short, there will be more models coming up in the next few months. And you're going to see they're going to beat all these other models as well. And then the commercial companies are going to try to kind of beat that as well. But from a foundational perspective, if your problem is just creating a chatbot and getting a basic reasoning of the customer and whatever, really, I mean, you don't need to wait to integrate for all these fancy developments happening in the AI world. Uh, you could just pick any model, really, any of them would suffice you. But if you have a very particular niche, say you're generating the video content using text prompts, say like, you know, you need a, the fast car just going on top of the sea and doing marks on the sea, et cetera, which, is, which cannot be produced with normal traditional sense. You can only do this with visual effects or AI can help you on these kind of things. At that point, you need a very specific foundational models like Gen 2, et cetera. Veronica Daniel is an experienced strategic transformation leader and data governance expert. As head of data governance at ITV Studios, Veronica leverages her analytical approach and strong leadership abilities to create business efficiencies and lead successful cross-functional teams. With an MBA and proven track record managing portfolios spanning business transformation, process improvement, and change management initiatives, Veronica excels at challenging status quos to drive results. When they did that switch, I guess, from tape to, let's say, fully digital, because tape has like additional attributes which can store massive amounts of storage, versus when you convert to ones and zeros, you're basically um, making it a lot larger than what it is in the analog space. So how are you handling the storage problem that do you know? Or do you have like 
I don't know, maybe so it's outside of your scope. I don't this, know. Is, this is something interesting because I'm at the moment looking into that. Not really the way that you describe it, but in a different way of actually unlocking that potential mm -hmm. and unlocking the right type of data in a way that we might unlock some of it. Mm -hmm. We can go back for more, if that makes sense, uh, based mm -hmm. on what we need. So it's, yeah, it's unlocking the right amount at the right time that we can unlock more. So mm. in that area of the knowledge and knowledge graph and that sort of stuff, how do we actually start creating those, which we then mm -hmm. can re-augment in order to explain the changing landscape mm -hmm. of our customers' ways of, you know, um, commercializing and re-commercializing mm -hmm. our, uh, mm -hmm. our, our content. So when you say unlock, should I interpret as it's basically unlocking the content based on topics, relevance, or tagging it? Or is it from a perspective of maybe licensing? Or I guess, how, can you double click on unlocking? All. Oh, all right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Actually, so all. Do you do like transcription of like voice data, for instance, like this is a very good use case uh, of okay, yeah, having a voice and convert that to text. Transcription is one of that and we already do a lot of that that is not quite yet there's more of knowledge and insights and uh, mm -hmm. further data that we can use for our efficiencies become mm -hmm. faster do more mm -hmm. cheaper and also that we can use that data to create knowledge that we didn't think even that existed and this is your idea of knowledge graph as well. So you're going to expose think, basically that service to the internal employees. I think knowledge graph will have some part in it. So there will be obviously lots of tech around it, but mm -hmm. in the future there will be graph will be part of it only because uh, the data is type of network. Um, so that's 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 the main thing that I I was primed before I came here, and it definitely is sort of a network mm -hmm. type. Of that we saw changing, it's augmenting based on the needs which are externally driven. And yeah. we are also creating it as a very disruptive type mm -hmm. of industry. Are there any limiting factors or constraints that you have like to basically un create an unlock basically? I mean, like every company, we have limits, right? What we can do and how can we fund? <laughs> but yeah. fund is one yeah. aspect for sure. But I mean, I guess my question is more towards like maybe from a knowledge point of view, from an availability point of view, like a timeline capacity. I don't know those kind of angles. I find it really surprising. The answer that I will give you is that because it is creative industry, there is openness to create, and it's we good. have we have had number of things put into place now for three years in a data strategy which are quite key and fundamental that actually me joining it was i think it was a year and a, two and a half years in that they were in that process um the pivoting and the knowledge sort of embedded already a little bit i mean i'm not saying it's perfect it's not very thin it's not very thick layer it's more thin layer but it's good enough. They have done this, a lot of, lots of stuff. This was a data lake initiative that you referred earlier. Is, is that the yeah. one? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And again, we've got got a plenty of that sort of around. We, this is not the only lake we have, but it's only the the way of thinking, the way of organizing, the way of educating, getting the literacy. It's not very thick. It's 
relatively thin, but it's quite constant and it is good enough to really start for studios specifically getting ourselves organized and, you know, benefiting. So there's one thing about benefiting what has already been done, replicating, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. learning from industry itself, learning from outside of industry, which I'm part mm -hmm. of, and I'm not the only player that came with knowledge which we can pull from other places and we've got a strong networks but at the same time yeah that creativity it really is not a problem describing certain things and thinking wider than or big than in some other industries which would be mm -hmm. sort of like expected so and that's that's really it's going to help them i think let me ask you a, like a controversial question so the content creation as its current position i guess is being kind of started to challenge by uh, by AI. Like this is this was basically initially started as a text content creation with, you know, creative writing and persuasive writing and various forms. Uh, but now we are seeing very good successful results from mid-journey stable diffusion in the image content as well. It's ultra realistic, like the human eye cannot differentiate the majority of the content that's being created, whether it's digitally created or, or someone actually took a photo. And now we're seeing a significant process in video creation as well, in a way that like there are some very serious models that you need to take it really seriously in the like text to kind of video generation. So you say like, okay, I want a robot running towards something and catch a dog and then the video is being created that way. So there are a bunch of other research that is trying to give you control levers on the content, like how that robot should be, for instance, or what's the scene, what kind of background is that? So you can add more detail. You can select a robot needs to have glasses and whatever, pair of glasses and, and all these kind of things. So when you think of this, I guess, like where do you see your market position? Because ultimately you're creative content creating versus like there is a lot of element coming to challenge that. So it really isn't new to us because we already have had it as part of our productions for ages. It's not that it suddenly is new. It's only talked about a lot. Do you remember when they said that paper will never exist? The conversation should be slightly different. The conversation should be that everything is, the technology is there for a purpose and not everything just because it's possible is going to be adopted and not everything that is possible is going to then replace something that was here before. Veronica discussed unlocking the right data when needed. She highlighted knowledge graphs to enhance data accessibility for understanding customers and content commercialization. She indicated potential beyond transcription to gather insights for efficiency and creative content, but noted resource and funding limitations constraining comprehensive data strategies. So first question I've got is, what are the main challenges in unlocking data potential within a, a media organization and effectively leveraging knowledge graphs for content strategies? And I guess if you could also explain what knowledge graphs are. So I guess uh, the graph is a mathematical model we use. Basically, it has vertices and edge. So you have concepts and there is a relationship between these concepts. So if you have, for instance, ESA in this particular talk and Tim, these are two entity. And the relationship between these two entity is the podcast right now, like conducting a podcast. Graph can represent this relationship in a mathematical model. That's all it is. When you think of knowledge graphs, 
this is a very, I guess, like a little bit more specific or fine-tuned version of this relationship. So you take your enterprise know-how and turn it into knowledge graphs, meaning you can actually question relationship and which entities are being impacted by that relationship. For instance, if you have a customer and customer creates an order, within that relationship, there is an order number element when you create the order. But there is the time of the purchase is not specific to order itself. It is actually within the relationship. So you could say within the Christmas time, how many males are doing this X order? And then knowledge graph will give you that information super fast. You could do this in traditional means as well, but it will be a little bit slower and mm -hmm. using more resources. The graphs can help in solving like many complicated problems as well. So for instance, you could say, if you're, if you're building a social media side, you could say, within my followers, who has the highest followers? Uh, you could actually learn the people who are following you and who has the highest followers within the people that follows you. And then you could say, okay, how many of them are from, you know, Germany and speak Spanish? So like these kind of questions is really difficult to get out of traditional relational database models. And graph models can help with these things. But going back to knowledge graphs again. So knowledge graphs is a little bit more logical abstraction over this kind of model. So you could go through your enterprise know-how or in the media context, you could go through your content and you could create entities of that content. For instance, this content is an interview between X and Y conducted in 1989 this month. And it took like two hours and it was about X, Y, Z keywords, et cetera. So that's your entity. But then like that very same person can be on other interviews as well or other TV shows or other uh, news coverages. So that relationship basically can be questioned through knowledge graph. You could say like how many different um, interactions we had with this particular person, a particular celebrity, for instance. And it will just give you all the content and all the video, all the interviews and the podcasts and the like the news coverage etc so you could get that super fast so that's what knowledge graph is ai takes slightly different approach in this um so the knowledge graph is very as i said like it's a mathematical model uh but it requires tons of effort to create it uh and once you create it like editing and improving updating that information or when you make a mistake you can imagine the catastrophic impact of that mistake in this yeah. particular knowledge graph. Um, what AI does is slightly different. So there are different reasoning models in AI right now. So like if you provide tons of content to AI, particularly uh, like large language models uh, that we're referring right now, they can do chain of thoughts, meaning like this is that, uh, but this happened because of that and that happened because of that kind of relationship. Yeah. So that chain of thoughts, so that they try to mimic this behavior. But then there are new models three of thoughts, for instance, it actually gives like a decision branches. So if you were to like say yes to this question, then it will go into this branch. And if you say no to that question, it will go to this branch. So it's, it's a three kind of structure. Uh, within that structure, you can reason much better because the branches of that tree, technically, or leaves of that tree is, is the actual thing that you need to process. And AI can do this really well. Meaning if you provide a bunch of different contents, Say like a video content, three different video content of Tim Bond, for instance, and ask, tell me like how Tim Bond would react to a controversial question. So none of the content has that information directly, but AI can analyze your responses 
on each of those things, create that tree of thought and reason that, well, when you ask controversial questions to Tim, Tim pauses for five seconds first, gathers his thoughts and responds very politely. Something like that. You wouldn't get this from knowledge graphs first. When you lay that into sort of the commercial context of wanting to, I guess, increase revenue through content downloads, et cetera, it can help forecast the you know the best strategies to to take to optimize yeah. optimize uptake, et cetera. This is a very good use case, for instance. So say you have a content and you're looking at the influence or impact uh, ratio of that content. And when you look at typical metrics, you would see certain seconds of that content. It has the highest kind of like a spike, et cetera. But you wouldn't be able to ask this question for us to those metrics. So what leads to that spike? What was in it, in that content lead that spike? You wouldn't get that from those metrics. But if you capture that metrics, the content of the video and the transcription, put that into like a large language model, it could actually give you a kind of knowledge that you're expecting. Well, people got super excited because there was an earlier joke that was kind of building up to this. Right. So right. it can give you these kind of reasonings, which is massively useful, right? Like, I mean, when you think of that for a content creator or a, like a, the production company, I mean, this is massively useful. Challenges part or the constraints part is interesting on this one. So whether it's knowledge graph or the leveraging AI on this level, yeah, I think there is definitely cost element that you need to be very, very conscious of because processing a video content of two hours of you know length, uh, I mean, it's just going to be a dramatic cost because the, the, the text and the, the image, like every image data, is massively long. The voice data that you have, so all, processing all these things will require tons of tons of tons of tokens usage from uh, you know like API that you will consume. So cost is one aspect. The second aspect, I guess, is is the, the privacy and security, right? So this is, again, going back to the original concern, like some licenses won't allow certain users to access this information. So when you give that, for instance, example uh, that we gave just five minutes ago around you responding to controversial questions, so AI yeah. can tell you that, but maybe one of the content within those three, five videos is not allowed by, I don't know, the, the viewers from Africa because of the license restriction. But now, AI should ignore that for, uh, for people from Africa when they ask that question or when they kind of like try to... So it's, it can get very hairy and complicated, let's put it that yeah. way. But building the right strategy for that is going to be um, essential. And, and the last is the data quality is, is another, uh, I guess, problem, I would say, or at least constraints. Uh, oftentimes we don't have qualitative data. So like you might have a social media content and a bunch of comments, but comments could be gibberish. Some of them are in different languages. Some of them contain slang. Some of them contain different dialects in it, et cetera. But treating them in one single kind of way is extremely difficult. So you need to leverage, again, large language models, but it's a, it has to be very, I guess, inclusive large language model. And that's where the limitation starts happening. Or when you have an image, for instance, you are building a like a media production of 1080p, let's say, uh, but the content you have is like a 320p, or it's an iPhone image or like iPhone video camera content, which means that you need to like fill with black all other areas, etc. So now suddenly you actually degraded the quality of your data because of that black side, because AI will interpret that and it will make meaning out of it. So I guess. 
don't get me wrong. Like there are solutions to all these problems, but you know, like these are just constraints to think of. So, so many of these constraints. I just wanted to quickly go back to this, the commercial issue around processing all of these tokens and, you know, heavy content like video, it all becomes very expensive. Presumably, this is where it's certainly within within the enterprise with large media organizations, such as some of those that were represented at the round table. It, it then presumably becomes a big commercial negotiation with these foundational model companies, right? Because there's a lot of bargaining power and, and negotiation that can take place. So I guess that's, that's, that's going to yeah. start becoming quite a big con- consideration for, for the media giants. Right? Yeah, it's, it's a give or take kind of scenario, really. Like, I mean, it's it, A, like versus Gen 2, if you take Gen What, what is Gen 2? Right? It's basically a video, text-to-video generation company. So you can take any video and then convert it into cartoon, for instance, like in a matter of like right. you know, a few minutes. So, or you can take a text input and turn that into like an entire fully like 1080p video or 4k video like that's what they are specializing and they're getting pretty good at it to be honest like i mean gen 1 was not that great but gen 2 is like i mean it's really mind-blowing and i i think they're working on gen 3 is what i've heard so Mm. let's see what to come this part i guess like there is also like a question around deep fakes here but i'm not going to get into that right yeah yeah can imagine like i mean building a content is not like that difficult so there's a fundamental question that all these media companies need to ask themselves like i mean there's obviously like years of years of years of kind of like a comfort around like an irreplaceable media production company right so you you can't be you know replaced easily you know you have studios and but someone in their garage with five gpus can create a video content as quality as you now so what are you going to do so what's your business model how are you going to kind of ensure that you know like it's it's not limiting your let's say capacity and the commercial power or the market and the brand that you have they are asking a question to joe biden the other day i saw <laughs> they asked like what's the biggest fear you have from the ai and he said voice cloning because i mean it's very real i mean no normal human being cannot differentiate the, the cloned voice right now so that means you have all these rights about you know licenses etc with let's say, uh, I don't know, like a TV corporation with the media producer company, whatever. So that license can mean that's going to be bounding this part. So what about the all other open source parts? Like people are just going to massively produce these content. And how are you going to stop it? Who are you going to charge? Like there is a whole legal framework waiting answers right now around this. So I think it's going to be fun to see. Uh, how, how people are going to react over time. I think it's, it's, it's a very, very exciting time for everybody. I understand Globant are offering media and entertainment organisations and, and professionals uh, complimentary workshops to, I guess, to address everything that we've been talking about today. And um, perhaps you could just share just in a few words what, what those workshops might entail, sort of the value that organisations could get from spending some time with Globant. All the stuff that we discuss here, we are asking a little bit more detailed about those constraints within, within the workshop. We're trying to understand the business. It's more towards us than them initially, like the first part of the workshop, because we're trying to understand the theory of constraints, basically, like what constraints that they are operating under. Once we understand that, the, the next step is, well, okay, like, have you considered this and that and that kind of solutioning part? So obviously, like, uh, like the, the proper AI work and discovery work can take like four to eight weeks. Sometimes, sometimes it's 12 weeks, depending on how large your corporation and the business lines are. 
But this like small workshops, one or two day workshops can give you at least like, you know, quick tidbits around that. So like do a litmus test around like whether I'm on the right path or not. Like am I thinking wild here or am I too? So it's very kind of like a, important for a, like in a leader who will be investing a certain capital into that basically. So if you're going to spend say $2 million in the next six to 12 months, well, it's probably best to kind of test that, whether that's worth it. Because I'll give you a real example. So we went to this company X. They were about to do almost like 700,000 for the next just quarter on something on AI. Okay, it's like they were trying to generate some content. We showed open source models to them and their power. Uh, the entire thing costed them 30K. So you see, I mean, like just very basic workshop can save you $670,000, you know, because what you're trying to do on the surface looks like you need open AI. But actually, when you double click on a few details, you could do the same thing with an open source model in your premise with a like a basic hardware. You don't need like GPUs or anything. I mean, Mistral, for instance, I'm giving this an example. Mistral, it has massive inference power. It's unbelievable. Like the, the number of tokens it generates per second is just mind blowing right now with a normal hardware. If it is a powerful hardware, it, it goes like beyond, you know, like comprehension, let's say. It's just massively fast. How they do this is a lot more mathematical consideration, but they do it right now. So it's in your reach. You can take it. You can use it. You don't need that magical, like everything from OpenAI or Meta or Microsoft or Google. You could maybe solve it. Again, these are very much on the use case specific things. And when we do these workshops, we really literally ask these questions to, 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 to the attendees. And once they describe the problem to us, we say, okay, like, why are you even thinking this? Just do this. The funny story is like sometimes you don't even need AI at all. (laughs) I know like people are really hooked into like AI and maybe they have some OKRs or KPIs associated to that by their C-suite, etc. I get it. But sometimes all you need is an Excel. It's important to really like understand that. And I guess that what we are trying to help our clients on that workshop is to understand the details basically. So that wraps up my conversation with Issa Goksu. A special thanks to Issa, as well as Athena from BBC Studios and Veronica from ITV for their invaluable contributions and insights. Key takeaways from me are media companies must plan and implement generative AI technologies in a strategic phased manner, selecting platforms based on criteria, including accuracy, ease of integration, privacy, token cost, and legal implications. Be sure to join us for part two and learn more on this topic from JJ Lopez Murphy, Globant's head of AI and a top data science executive from Global, Europe's largest radio broadcaster. Finally, please refer to the links in the show notes where you can find out more about Globant's complimentary workshops, which will help you navigate your AI journey and learn more about use cases in the media and entertainment sector and benchmark your vision with industry best practice. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please subscribe to the Enterprise Thought Leadership Podcast. Thanks for listening.